Hello everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Happiness in Humans. My name is Matt Phelan, I am co-founder of a business called The Happiness Index. I'm author of a book called Freedom to Be Happy, The Business Case for Happiness. And I also have an amazing community, if any listeners want to join, called The Happiness in Humans Community. It's for anyone. Um, we have one test uh, for people that want to join, which is, do you want to positively shape the future of work? If that's you, um, go to thehappinessindex.com and find the community and join us. Um, and we're all in there. There's about 900 of us and we're all working around the world to try and make the work the workplace a, a better place to be um but before i before um before i forget to introduce uh my guest today adam how are you doing adam yeah i'm very good matt how are you doing today thank you for having me on no worries i've survived the school run which uh, i do that full time now so uh, right start, start the day in a bit of a fluster but yeah by this point i've, I've had two coffees and yeah I'm, I'm i'm starting to feel normal how, how's how's your day been so far yeah, not too bad. Um, not um, minus the school run, but sort of the usual sort of morning morning fluster. But no, sort of had a cup of tea, settled myself. The sun has finally come out in East London, um, yeah. where I'm based at the moment. So yeah, yeah, can't complain. Ready to crack on with the show. Yeah, well, I'm in North London, so if you could send it round a, little, a few degrees up this way, I'd appreciate this, that, please, Adam. <laughs> Absolutely, I'll have a I'll have a word with the pack. Yeah. So, Adam, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Awesome. Yeah. So um, my name is um, Adam Sheikh. I am a account executive at an organization called Intent Health. Um, so what we do is we're a healthcare communications agency with a particular um, emphasis on telling stories of marginalized communities. So we do a lot of work around diversity and inclusion representation um, within the healthcare space. Thanks, Adam. And we have to ask you, what makes you happy? And no lies, we like to know the raw, unedited, unedited version. What, what, what is, what makes you happy, Adam? Oh no, no bars held. The full, the full source. It's a, it's a big question. Um, I mean, I guess I would say spending time with um, the people that matter most to me. So, um, family, close friends. Um, you know, um, seeing people and, and spe yeah, spending quality time and making meaningful connections with people. Um, also, um, hobbies as well, things that I really enjoy. So for me, music is a major hobby for me, um, both listening and, and playing as well. Um, what I do play, you play? I play um, violin, I sing, I play guitar, um, piano, wow. and I play the mandolin rather badly, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide because, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, no, so um, yeah, so basically, either playing playing music with friends or listening, um, mm. and then also sports as well. Um, so big football fan, cricket fan, tennis, Formula One. So yeah, wow. I say ho hobbies and people really. They're, yeah. they're the main things that get me going. And are you? Um, we've had a couple of guests on Adam who talk about intentionally spending time with positive people um, in their lives. Are you? intentional about who you're hanging out with or or is it just like a random mix of people that you've met through life or or do you ever um say you know what this relationship's not not positive anymore it's a toxic um relationship or or are you a bit more chilled than that we've had we've definitely had different approaches to friendship on the on the podcast any any thoughts from you adam on that absolutely i think um i think I, I try and be intentional where I can. I think as, as the older I get as well, I think the more I think with those relationships, I much rather have quality over quantity. I'd much rather invest a lot of time in in a select few people that I really feel 
whether it's through shared experiences or just some people you are just on the same same wavelength with same values same attitudes and you just click so i i definitely try to be intentional um i sort of be i'd be happy where i can however i would say that also um self-deprecating humor is a big part of the both the british psyche and also a, a coping mechanism sometimes so yeah i think and i think um yeah shades of shades of gray within reason but i think certainly being intentional with the people that i want to invest in time with i think certainly recently i think previously i would say i would just hang out with people based on circumstances you know where i was living what i was doing where i was going but yeah. I, i'm trying to be more intentional trying yeah. to put more value on my own time if that makes sense yeah absolutely adam um question we had a really good chat off air around like what your day job is and and what your passions and purpose are and we sort of framed it in what what gets you out of bed in the morning like to talk us through that please adam absolutely um yeah so i'd say oh, the one thing the main thing that gets me out of bed would be um telling the stories of marginalized communities and giving people a voice that have traditionally been voiced um that are traditionally voiceless and that's yeah. one thing i really really enjoy about my job um like in terms of it's being able to give people a platform that have traditionally been disenfranchised and allowing them and allowing them to tell their own stories not not speaking on their behalf not not trying to be a savior but giving people a platform and you know I'm, I'm sure as you do with your podcast as well this podcast a lot of it is about telling people's stories yeah um and finding those avenues so yeah i would say telling the stories of underrepresented people and communities is really really my my mo my driving force and you know you mentioned not tr trying to be a savior um i think david lammy uh, the politician has spoke about this a lot so I, I live near tottenham i'm a tottenham fan um right. and uh, he's he's kind of famous for criticizing um uh, some charities actually that have sort of gone into africa and sort of presented themselves as the sort of saviors um is that an intentional phrase that you used again to use that word intentional but around not being a savior and giving people platform is that something you're conscious of yeah i would say so absolutely so my um my degree was um international relations and politics so sort of yeah i would i would say some of it maybe would come from a similar thing in terms of looking at like like you said charities foreign aid that that whole structure right in terms of it's it's the, the age-old example of you know you give someone um you, you know you give someone sort of a, a thousand pounds and then they'll be waiting for the next thousand pounds when that runs out however if you invest that that thousand pounds into into skill into skills into an institution so then yeah. they're able to then generate generate a livelihood for themselves yeah um that, that's that's the model so yeah i i would say yeah it's helping people help themselves right you yeah. extend that to other other categories i love that and it, so it's a yeah and, and bringing it back to you is so they don't become reliant on you you're just trying to work with them to give them a to give them a platform that they can then help themselves and so on is that is that how you would explain it in terms of your what gets you out of bed absolutely absolutely it's it's trying to create as much equity with an opportunity as possible um because um i don't you know i i don't have all the answers i i don't know the ins and outs of and the nuances of someone's particular particular problems or particular predicaments um yeah whereas i, I can only speak from my personal experiences and expertise but 
giving people the tools to try and give them the best opportunity to put their best foot forward, I think is it is where I probably stand on that and, whole topic. No, this is a really personal question. Why do you why do you even care, Adam? So like we we've heard about your interests, right? You've got you play about a million instruments and you love sport, <laughs> right? You could just do that. You could just go and earn your you could go and work at uh, an anonymous company somewhere you could take the salary and you could use all your spare time just playing sports and the guitar right why why do you care like why are you investing because you're investing your own time and your own life into this stuff what what's what's driving that i would say um some of it is i mean uh, yeah i would i would kind of um premise that question as well the reason why i've been able to you know play all these different instruments and take interest in all these different sports is um, is due to sort of um, the privilege of my background, being able to go to a school where I was able to learn all these different instruments, have supportive parents to take up all these different hobbies. So I think what, what really drives me is the fact that so many people haven't had this opportunity. So many people yeah. have started from very, very different circumstances and have made, and, you know, often through decision-making decisions that were made for them have been knocked into very different lives yeah. so i think for me that's that's the main thing in terms of wanting to give back to people that haven't had those opportunities that I, i've had don't get yeah. me wrong I, I would still find the time to you know play play in bands or go to the foot go to the pub to watch football with with my mates and stuff like that obviously that there has to be ring fence some some me time and some mm. you know enjoyment time but in terms of why I would spend my my working day trying to trying to, to improve people's lives, I, I would say it's uh yeah, it, it would come from I guess the acknowledgement that I've had a fortunate start in life. I love that, Adam. And it just brings it onto another point. We'll get into the questions at some point, but I just <laughs> I wanted to dig into this a little bit, which is so like if you take so I would definitely now having um Sort of understand white privilege and things like that i would describe myself as having white privilege i also understand my background around like my grandparents being immigrants to this country and i'm taught loads of stories with my family like how job descriptions saying irish people shouldn't apply and, mm. and all this kind of stuff so i see both sides that i recognize what you're saying there which is i understand the privilege side of, of what i've got i've been a white person um growing up in the uk but I also see in other people's causes, uh, like Black Lives Matters, what might be happening in Israel, like I, that helps create helps me create empathy for other causes. Why do you think um, some people go the other way? Because there's some people that have got privilege that don't open up to that, or or have, have gained privilege and and then suddenly almost just ignore people that are going through similar experiences. Why do you think human beings are like that? Because some people do want to help like yourself but, but some people just don't they just almost get themselves into a good position and don't worry about other people like any any thoughts on that adam it's in yeah it's an interesting one actually um in terms of i guess yeah you were talking about um experiences um experiences from both the privilege and also the sort of the immigrant side of things and how some people go through adversary them, uh, adversarial times themselves and then get to the top and then almost pull up the drawbridge for people underneath yeah. them. I mean, the, I think yeah, it's... And the, and the career ladder is an example of that, isn't it? Mm. I think it's um, part of it, I think, is um, endemic of the society that we live in. I think um, 
in an age of in an age of um, social media, things moving at a million miles an hour, and we're constantly stimulated and overstimulated with information. I think yeah. people almost don't have the bandwidth to think about other people rather than themselves. In terms yeah. of, I think it, it's almost like I guess if everyone's almost the own, everyone's the main the main star of their own movie, if and, if, <laughs> and you know, yeah. I don't know whether it's like main character syndrome, but in terms of people. Yeah. Almost, I guess, would only have time to worry about themselves mm. and people in their immediate vicinity. Um, and, I, and I can see why it would it's quite difficult as well. Um, thinking about your own problems as well and having to open yourself up to other people's problems and sort of in, take on some of that burden, that emotional strain, and then also provide them with the support and the tools to also to lift them mm. up. Because it, it's very well saying we'll provide support where needed. But then when it actually comes to providing the support, or the nature of the support, um, depending on what that person is going through, um, that can be a long, a long and arduous process, especially if, if especially if someone's condition is chronic. Mm. Um, so I, th I think, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's tricky. I mean, because I guess some people have it, it, uh, some of it comes back to your what you personally view about human nature, right? In terms yeah. of nature versus nurture are some people just naturally more predisposed to help people than others yeah um, i love attention around the main character syndrome whilst we're chatting i've just um i've googled the best supporting actors of all time and it's an incredible list it's jeff bridges robert duval arthur kennedy jack nicholson so they're uh, and al, al pacino wow. so they're people that have got the most academy awards for best supporting actor which I, I think this is going to be your new thing, Adam, about how you how you become a supporting actor. <laughs> because actually, that's what, you're, that's what you're talking about, isn't it? Like, it is that's what you're doing. You're putting the other people on the platform and supporting them. So, um, well, thanks for getting into that. I know there's some quite deep questions there, but not at all. Um, so, Adam, we met um, we met at Shireen Daniels Advancing Racial Equity Conference. Um, for those that weren't there. Um, it was uh, i would recommend following shireen on linkedin we, um we were there because there was a government report produced in I think january that that effectively said that the uk is not a racist country and um and that it's almost a, i think the word was the uk is a model for other countries to follow um and we had a lot of people contact us at the happiness index saying what do you think of this report it doesn't seem to um doesn't seem to reflect my lived experience was the phrase i kept hearing over and over again um that, that's probably the most polite, polite description i had of the report um but people <laughs> said to us could we do an alternative version where we try and get to understand how do people feel from different backgrounds across the uk about racial equity um in the uk and out of that came some pretty shocking data. Um, it's the first, I don't mind admitting it's the first time I've cried when I've read our own data. Um, it's, we, we, we're releasing it soon, but it's quite, it's hard to go through and it, it comes with a warning. Um, but first, before we sort of, that's, that's where I met Adam. Um, and the reason I was, what I invited Adam onto the podcast um, was he's the first person who's talked about race um and stuff going on there and also mental health so both massively important subjects and things that i care about but i've never heard anyone talk about the two together <laughs> um and then when obviously adam sent us some some stuff that he's been working on so 
could you just give us a bit of a background here adam on on and, and also why were you at sheree why were you at the, let's start there actually why were you at the advancing racial equity conference um what was it what what made you attend of course yeah no so apart um so intent health the company that i work for was one of the um headline sponsors of the event as well so we were fortunate enough to get some get some free tickets to the event but as well i mean um so yeah, I mean, I would also echo what Matt said about following Shireen on LinkedIn and and the you know and the amount of amazing work she does. I mean, she's a ferocious campaigner and really, really worth listening to. Um, but what, why I was there, I mean, um, really, in terms of, I'd I'd heard I've been to a lot of um, talks about racism, institutional racism, but then talk, but the way it was framed in terms of advancing racial equity in the workplace, um, I'd almost almost grown up with the narrative that in terms of uh, like um topics of of racism fall into sort of a per like sort of a more personal things as things you do in your free time um they very rarely intersect with i guess a workplace or like um or you would very i've very rarely seen them framed in a professional capacity in that nature um and when i had it was always very sort of surface level so i think talking about racial equity racial injustice um institutional biases that disproportionately affect people of color in the context of a workplace and a workforce and having a variety of um speakers as well like i mean like yourself as well look talking about the um the the the, the report the government produced and kind of critiquing it from a from a data perspective as well and you had ceos of startups of large corporates as well talking about you know their experiences and also more junior staffers as well so i think you really had a broad perspective of um opinions experiences and i I'd, and for me what really captured what really drew me towards that conference was um yeah talking about racial equity in a professional capacity as well is mm. something that i found extremely refreshing such a good point a lot of people reflected on the on, on the conference adam that it felt like they were at the start of something big did, did you uh, that's how i felt afterwards is that did you that's it felt like sharina just been the catalyst for something really big and really positive in the world of work did it, does that did that resonate with you any thoughts on that absolutely no I, I certainly hope so i think um you know obviously um obviously kind of you know maybe a year or so ago or several months ago there was a big a driving force of these conversations with the aftermath of what happened with George Floyd and the global resurgence of BLM, but certainly I feel like Shireen is at the head of a head of a movement um, where companies are really taking these conversations seriously. Yeah, um, which ties into some of the work that um, that I sent over to you in terms of a blog I wrote for Intent Health. In terms of, I think we are really seeing a sea change in terms of people's expectations regarding what yeah. they expect from from a workplace and the, yeah. the expectations that minority communities have in terms of how they feel they should be be treated if that makes mm. sense. and the biggest but i think the biggest surprise that people contacted us afterwards in our data is when we ran the correlation analysis around happiness in the workforce and the equity piece is that the second highest thing so the first area that you could impact um to to help people from all backgrounds was on the belonging piece which is which you might have guessed if you were trying to work out what's the most important mm. what's the most important between where should you start on diversity inclusion belonging it's quite interesting that belonging is the place to start because 
actually that's actually about the people that you already got isn't it rather than the people that you might bring in so that was number one which people may or may not have guessed but the biggest surprise was that people expect their companies to externally campaign for things like racial equity that and that is that was a big surprise to people because mm. it's one thing doing stuff internally and, and i this is an area that i need to work on myself is to to make the work that we do more public because employees expect it now that was the thing i took from it it's not like a nice to have if you're a ceo of an organization you're expected to be out there fighting for things that people think are right like this um was that a surprise for you adam to see that in the data absolutely it was and um absolutely it was and i think as well you could extend that um intersection i know we're talking specifically about race and mental health today but you could extend that to um, issues of sexuality or issues mm. of, of gender equity as well in terms of people people um are actively expect um expect these issues to be campaigned for to be um and to be actively championed as well it um and sort of nice statements warm platitudes um um sort of don't really really cut it and and I guess as well, as those voices get louder and louder, they become a bigger part of a company's talent base as well. And you know, talent is going to talent is going to move to companies that do have a better a better finger on the pulse yeah, with absolutely. with social justice issues. And I think that's something as well that even even as someone you sort of I I, I guess I would fall into the in the um, gray area between millennial and gen z so you know I, I am i am the progressive snowflake part of the progressive snowflake community bringing this change That's and even i was shocked the snowflake absolutely no so I, and, and even i was shocked in terms of how much energy and movement um the, mm -hmm. these things had absolutely and so adam you touched on there the main, our main talking point today as in you're one of the first people that i've heard talk about uh, race and mental health in one in one conversation and sort of drew, drew the lines between them can you just sort of talk that talk, talk us through that and how, how you put them together absolutely well I mean for me it was quite easy so as um as, as someone that is um ethnically South Asian and that has um been a long-term campaigner for mental health and had his own personal struggles with mental health for me it was quite easy in terms of it was just an intersection of, of my various identities and in terms of um like you said there have been sort of a lot of external external noise about we, we've seen you know various public figures campaign for mental health particularly famous sports people marcus marcus rashford emma radicanu naomi osaka um these people in their 20s that are putting mental health issues front and center but then also um people taking the energy from George Floyd and BLM to push racial equity, but they very rarely ever met. And mm. I think that was something that really, really shocked me because, you know, with all this talk about, with all this talk about intersectionality and how people are, are complicated and made up of lots of different things, then such um, issues of psychological wellness are a core human element of all people. So so yeah. why, why not also people of color? Um, so, yeah, it's something that I was quite shocked in terms of hadn't really been talked about, hadn't been discussed in terms of literature. There was kind of very little. Um, 
And we, we were doing work in Intent Health um, on mental health awareness campaigns and also work on communities of colour. So I thought, why not just write a blog which what write a blog based on my own personal experiences in terms of my own battles with mental health and also the way that I've um, seen and experienced racism as well through the course of my life. So for me, it was a very natural, it was a very natural step. And it was, it was yeah. only when I put my head above the parapet, I was like, oh, there's not an awful lot going on in this. And then people yeah. like you took notice. And so obviously there, obviously there is an appetite for this sort yeah. of work. And anything that you've started to find recently, Adam, in the sort of the research and the and the stories in here, anything that interesting that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, of course, absolutely. I think I think one of the big things that I I found both both data wise and anecdotally as well is a um, big generational difference between mm. um, the way that communities of color have a relationship with mental health, um, and in terms of um, what we were talking about in terms of people pulling up the drawbridge often um th that can often take place within communities of color and you were talking about your um experience like your um your irish immigrant background in terms of a lot of older members of society grew up in in a in a country that was rife with really vitriolic racism you know yeah. that when the national front was in its heyday i'm talking sort of you know the the era of enoch powell's river of blood speech yeah. of speech where yeah. you had big billboards like you know no no blacks no dogs no irish and, and yeah. these sort of things were commonplace and so for for people that had to go through that experience that withstand that um survival was really all they could all they could envisage and all they could entail so and true. one of the and one of the points that I really wanted to tease out was that if survival is the extent of your community's ambition, then then it, it then nothing can really improve. You can't you you will never achieve true equity because you can't push beyond that. Whereas I think what we're finding with the Marcus Rashford, the Emma Raducanu's of the world, is that they have a higher expectation. They have a higher ceiling. They don't they don't just want to survive. They've they're 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 confident enough in their identity as as British people as um, integrated members of society where they feel that they can voice their complaints and their concerns yeah. through issues of mental health and it, these issues are complicated these issues are nuanced no so, one person's mental health is the same um, and you and it so in terms of treatments and diagnosis everyone everyone's situation is going to be different but it's almost like we've 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 done the survival bit we don't have to worry about being we don't we don't have to worry about being attacked by members of the national front in the 70s people aren't going to come around and you know burn down community centers or spit at people on the street because 98 percent of human beings in this country would turn around and defend them yeah. however um we've done that sort of primary level of survival so i think what you're seeing is an increased and increased expectations within young people of color. And that's, I think that's something that should be celebrated rather yeah. than, um, yeah. And I think as well, um, expanding on that as well, I think um, it means, I think there's been a, a lag period as well. I know certainly for my own, my own um, battles of mental health, I've been sort of in and out of therapy. I've often, I, I, I grew up in a, I've had a very privileged background. I grew up in a, um, sort of middle-class town in northwest England very very white town so that yeah. came with its own challenges being a person of color 
um, and sort of having a desperate need to kind of fit in, um, feeling, you know, uh, one phrase I use is I, I feel I feel Indian amongst British people and then British amongst Indian people yeah. in terms of yeah. I don't really fit in either camp in a traditional yeah. sense. And that can come with its own nuances and its own challenges. But in terms of identifying it, it's it's nowhere near the levels of violence and abuse to say that maybe my parents or grandparents would have experienced when they came to this country in the 70s. Yeah. So I think for a whole generation of second, third generation um, immigrants as well, they're like, well, what I went through isn't as isn't as bad as what my parents went through yeah. from a purely sort of surface level um, uh, and um, I think, lens. And I think Michael Johnson, the, the athlete, was talking about this, Adam. I'll try and share the article, but Please he was saying he felt, so that we're talking about the 400-metre, 200-metre American uh, athlete here. He was talking about how he feels... Now he looks at people like Marcus Rashford and Emma Raducanu and so on, that his generation, sort of 80s, 90s athletes, I think he described it as we were a bit asleep on these subjects. Um, and he explained it as because things were a lot better for us than it was our parents, we felt like, oh, we've, we've solved all this stuff. But he's like the next generation are looking at it and they're not happy because they still haven't achieved equity, as you described it. Adam so I, f I found that fascinating because that fits into the age thing again doesn't it around how the like as let's proudly call ourselves snowflakes I describe it as people <laughs> that um if things are not right they want to change it they don't just want to sit quietly about it um which you can call someone a snowflake if that's what you want <laughs> to do to disarm them but for me that's just looking at things and going no this isn't how it should be um and that's why it's fascinating when you see someone like Osaka saying, I don't want to attend a press conference for my mental health issues. Because I'm sure contractually she's supposed to, but she's putting her she's putting her own health in front of that, which I think is, is that's an incredibly powerful role model for all children, I think. Absolutely. And I think as well with something like that as well, you, you know, you've got decades and years of norms and conventions in terms of the way that things do you know you play a match at Wimbledon or the US Open and, and you do a press conference to the media um, and that that's always been the way but to, to have the courage to be able to flip flip the script on its head and be like no this is counterproductive this is counterproductive to my own psychological well-being and I'm just not going to tolerate it I mean whether you agree with her or disagree with her that's almost that's almost beside the point like um yeah. I'd, uh, it, it's not in terms of going into semantics of whether that individual thing is the right way to go about it, but being able to challenge the status quo and have the bravery to be able to be like, we need to start having these difficult conversations and we can yeah. no longer start sweeping issues of mental health and issues yeah. of racial inequality under the carpet. Yeah, and the thing it's, is, if you, take, if you take that, if you take the example, uh, that tennis example where she said, I don't want to do the press conferences for my mental health. If you take it out of tennis and, and, and you, anyone that's listening imagines they've got their own child and their child says, I don't want to take, I don't want to take this paycheck because um, to do that thing is going to impact my mental health. Every parent out there is going to support that child. But as soon as, it becomes, as, soon as you put it into a, a superstar tennis player, people, there's just less sympathy for it. Um, and it's there that's that's what's amazing i think that's what's sport's been a good leader in that i think absolutely i'd, I'd agree and in terms of i think um 
like you said, it, it's amazing sort of the way it's framed in terms of how differently yeah. that that issue would be approached. And what we were talking about earlier in terms of you hadn't um, heard race and mental health being talked about in, in conjunction, I think it's because of what you talked about in terms of putting it in a box and framing it in a certain way. And and I think it's natural, right? We, we, we have a subject, we have a category, and we put it into a box and a silo and then put it to one side because it's easier yeah. to digest and easier to understand in that way. Totally. Um, but then what happens is sometimes it's important that those boxes speak to each other. Totally. Um, and, that's, and, and, and that's what you're doing, Adam. And that's what I think is amazing about what you're bringing awareness to, you're bringing those two subjects together that people put in boxes and you're drawing the lines. Um, Adam, we've got three minutes left. This has gone so quickly <laughs> and we both got stuff to get into. The cool, one of the things I just wanted you to help us understand is neurodiversity. Um, of course. Can, can you just, we've got two minutes. Can you just tell us what neurodiversity is and why it's important? Um, so neurodiversity refers to, I guess, variations or differences in the human brain. Um, so they can affect the way that we process information. They can affect mood. They can affect the way we interact with other people. Um, they can impact the way we interact with other people, um, intent, um, attention, focus. Um, so there's a lot of different conditions that will fall under a neuro the neurodiverse umbrella. You've got learning conditions like dyslexia, dyspraxia. You've got um, um, conditions like um, ADHD, Tourette's autism so all of these will manifest itself differently in the um in the individual but the neurodiverse umbrella basically refers to variations in the human brain in terms of the way that we process and interact with the world um so um and so for context for our, your listeners as well I, i'm someone yeah. that has dyspraxia and also um adhd as well so part of my work at intent health was um i did a a podcast series with a great organization called Genius Within, who help neurodiverse people in the workplace. And we did a, a podcast on um, COVID and the challenges of remote working and particularly the impact that that had on, on neurodiverse people. And I guess, like you said, it was bringing two things together. There'd been a lot of talk about COVID, um, remote working, mm -hmm. the challenges of that, a lot of talk about neurodiverse um, representation. But like again, what I wanted to do was bring those two two things together and talk about it in a space where they're not often talked about. So I hope that provided some some brief context for your listeners. No, really useful, Adam. And I, I, we need to wrap up and I need to thank you for just sharing so openly because you've shared so much of your personal story as well as bringing in what this means for the world of work. So you've definitely advanced my understanding and learning of this area, Adam, which is why I wanted to invite you on. But I've no doubt you've done that for our listeners. So I just want to end by saying thank you for your time. Um, and yeah, really appreciate it. If it, if anyone wants to to know, get to know you more, what's the, what's the best way? Um, oh, so the best way is um, pr probably LinkedIn. LinkedIn is probably yep. the best way. Um, Adam Shake on LinkedIn um, as well. And then, um, yeah, I guess I'm starting a conversation from there and then we can transfer to you know twitter instagram whatever sort of more appropriate but yeah i would say find me on linkedin um and drop me a message always happy to chat about anything and everything brilliant thanks so much adam no problem my pleasure Matt. thanks for having me on again no worries all right take care now bye bye